Welcome to this week's edition of Island Recast. For more information on Grand Memorial Presbyterian Church or Pastor David, please go to gmpc.org. It is with a bit of sadness that uh, I announced to you this morning that Jennifer Aniston and I can no longer be friends. <laughs> not, not that she and I were were ever friends, but the possibility existed that at some point we, we, we could be friends, but she recently made an announcement that uh, uh, is going to prevent us from being friends in the future. She, she, she made an announcement that she was severing ties with all of her unvaccinated friends. Now, not that we couldn't be friends because I'm unvaccinated, because I, I am vaccinated. So uh, on that end, we could be friends. But I don't think we can be friends because what she's doing is she's, she's making a judgment and a distinction uh, that, that carries a cultural influence that, that reaches far beyond the words of, of an individual. Now, what, what, what she has said, and when asked, why? Why are you, why are you cutting off uh, your friendships with your unvaccinated friends? She says, well, here's the deal. I, I myself am vaccinated. Uh, but I don't want to be around, uh, I don't want to be around people that are unvaccinated because of the Delta variant. They might give it to me. Uh, and now it's, it's not going it, to, it'll have minimal effect on me because I've been vaccinated, so I'm, I'm okay there, but I could still be a carrier of it and could then give it to an unvaccinated friend uh, uh, inadvertently who may have underlying conditions and I could cause them great illness. So I'm trying to puzzle this out in my mind. So you're going to you're going to sever relationships with all of your unvaccinated friends. You can no longer be friends with them because you're concerned for the safety of your unvaccinated friends, those that have it and those that have underlying conditions. And so just to be on the safe side, you're just going to step away from all of it. I'm still trying to puzzle that out in my mind. There's a, there's, 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 uh, uh, I'm, I'm still trying to puzzle that out in my mind. Now, let, let, me, let me say this. Uh, from my perspective, why I find that a little bit troubling. Uh, is, as you know here at, at Grand Memorial, I said early on uh, that uh, it, it, we're not going to we're not going to check uh, vaccines at the door, uh, and uh, and we're not going to we're not going to shame those that decide not to have vaccines. Uh, and we're not going to shame those that don't want to wear masks, and we're not going to shame those that want to wear masks. I'm very pleased today to see that there are some people here who are wearing masks. If you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. I, I mean, that, that, is, that is absolutely fine. I, I, I respect your right to wear, either wear a mask or, or to not wear a mask. And, and that extends also for me personally. And you can have a difference of opinion. I'm more than happy to let you do that. And, and we can talk about it because discussion in this is really, really key. Uh, if you choose not to get vaccinated, that, that's, that's your right. That's your privilege. 
And right now, I guess it's about 70-30. 70% of America is vaccinated, 30% are not vaccinated. Uh, I know people who are not vaccinated. And they've got very strong, for, 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 from their perspective, they have, they have strong rationale for saying, no, I don't want to be vaccinated at this time. To which I say, you understand uh, that there is an inherent risk on your part to not being vaccinated. To which they respond, yes, I understand that, and I am willing to accept responsibility for the choice that I make not to get vaccinated. Okay, great. I don't want it to be an issue. I was talking to an ER doc a couple of weeks ago, and he says, we need to change our language. We're no longer living in a pandemic we now know, we understand what we are working against. It is not a pandemic any longer. It is an endemic, which means that COVID now goes along the, the lines of all the other uh, viruses and, and, uh, and diseases that we regularly check ourselves with. And we're just going to need to learn to live with it because we're never going to completely and fully eliminate it. Great. I understand that. I understand. I, I, I want to accept the responsibility for myself. I want to let other people accept the responsibilities for themselves. We know that it's a respiratory uh, disease, uh, a virus. It's transmitted through the air. Uh, most people give it to themselves because they've touched something and then they've touched their mouth or their eyes or, 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 or whatnot. But what I fear is the divisions that it is causing. And divisions are never good because divisions lead to favoritism. And then we begin to make judgments about one another. And those judgments are rarely pronounced with good and pure motives. I have trouble understanding my own motives, let alone try to understand the motives of others. We all have influence. We need to be careful how we use that influence. And for my part, and I hope for your part, a greater use of your influence is that which honors our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and promotes gospel truth. Jennifer Aniston, talented actor. She holds a Guinness World Record. Did you know that? Anybody here know what Guinness World Record she holds? When she finally uh, signed up for an Instagram account, she is the fastest person ever to reach a million followers. And it happened in just over five hours when she signed up for her account. She purportedly now has something like 37.7 million followers on Instagram. And so you remember those commercials way back when E.F. Hutton speaks? People listen. When somebody has an audience of 37.7 million people, when she says something, people respond because because she is well-known for being well-known, she must really know what she's talking about. That's part and parcel of living in a culture 
that celebrates celebrityism. If you have your Bibles, I would, I'm going to get to the Bible here. If you have your Bibles, I would invite you to open them to the second chapter of James. The second chapter of James. You'll remember I've talked about James being a sort of midterm exams for Christians. It's a time for us to kind of take stock of who we are in Christ, how we are living our lives, and to make sure that our lives are being transformed uh, and restored into the image of Jesus Christ. We're forgiven. We are redeemed. That's a gift. We've got that. That's, That's in the bag. What Jesus did on the cross is sufficient, period, end of story. But he loves us too much to leave us where we are. He wants to transform us so that we can be more like him in how we live our lives. And so James tells us that we need to not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And so James, the book of James, is kind of a midterm exam for us as we read it. It's very practical. You you read this in scripture. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord and not do what I command? You don't do what I say. That just doesn't work long term. And so as early as the, as the first church, when this was written, you already had people who were, who were separating out what they said they believed versus what they actually did, how they carried that out. Our faith, if it does not impact our lives, is not a faith worth having. It's just not. James wants us to be both hearers of the word and doers of the word. It makes a difference in our lives. So, in this second chapter, he writes this. My brothers and sisters, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a person comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes. And a poor poor person in shabby clothes also comes in. If If you pay special attention to the one wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but you say to the poor person, you stand over there or sit at the floor at my feet. Have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you, you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you uh, into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as a lawbreaker. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. 
speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Favoritism. It shows itself in many, many different ways in our culture today. And, and make no mistake, people, our culture today is damaged. It's damaged. And we are impacted by that damaged culture, whether we want to acknowledge it or not. And, and, and favoritism and, and, and prejudice creeps into our lives in very subtle and seductive ways. And James is trying to warn us of that so that we can be aware of what's going on. And being aware of it, bless you, bless you, uh, being aware of it is the first step toward correcting it in our own lives. And I love how he starts out here, brothers and sisters, as believers in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. His, his, his use of words there is, is phenomenal. Our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Now remember that for all intents and purposes, James, as the, as the leader of the, of the church in Jerusalem, is still thoroughly and culturally Jewish. But he recognizes that in the person of Jesus Christ, the fullness of God's glory resides. There was this, there was this idea that, and, well, it's, it's, you, you see it in the Old Testament, as, as God led the, uh, the nation of Israel in, in the wilderness, the glory of God, they called it the Shekinah glory of God, was present in the pillar of fire by night and the pillar of cloud by day. And that when that glory settled as it led them, that's where they would construct the temple. And the very center of that temple was the Holy of Holies, where, 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 the, where the Ark of the Covenant resided and, and, and where the essence of God resided, the essence of God's glory resided. And so as James is drawing on that rich heritage, he announces in his letter here that Jesus Christ is that glorious Lord, that in him the fullness of God dwells. That's pretty cool, I think. Don't show favoritism, he says. Don't show favoritism. And then he goes into this whole narrative of, of, the, uh, of, of the two people that come into the, into the meeting and one's dressed fine clothes and the other is dressed poorly. And, uh, and so judgments and distinctions are made. And he says, within the community of faith, that cannot happen. Yes, we have a damaged culture. And yes, that damaged culture is influencing us in ways that we can't even begin to comprehend. But we've got to identify it. And one of the main ways of identifying it, according to James, is to recognize that favoritism is inherently wrong. He takes a step back from that and he wants to remind us that in Christ, in Christ, there is no male or female. In Christ, there is no Jew or Gentile. 
In Christ, there is no free or slave. Now, you, you take a step back and say, well, I mean, is he blind? We know the difference uh, between, uh, between the, the various races. We know that there's differences uh, in, in the various classes. We used to know that there was a difference between men and women. 1984? Y'all remember 1984? At the end of the book, the, uh, you know, they, they, they take this guy and they... You know, two plus two is five. Two plus two is five. No, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not. And they, they beat him. They beat him. And they torture him until he finally says, stop. Yes. Yes. You want me to say it? I'll say it. Two plus two is five. That's only the first step. Because you're just saying that to get the beatings to stop. You don't really believe it yet. So we're going to keep on until you really believe it. There is nothing that is too outrageous that if it's not spoken often enough and loudly enough that people don't begin to believe it to be true. We are created in the image of God, male and female, period. Now, I understand that there are all kinds of issues out there with people and it's stuff that's going on between the ears, not below the neck. And I want to take that seriously. And I want to respect people. But in respecting people, I cannot deny the truth. Two and two will never be five. So what is, what is the gospel telling us with this whole idea that in Christ, there is no male or female. In Christ, there, there is no slave or free. In Christ, there is no Jew or Greek. In Christ, there is essential dignity and value and worth in every single person. Period. And that's how we need to see each other. Regardless of how we dress. Regardless of the cars we drive regardless of how much education that we have, regardless of where we live. And oh, those signs of favoritism, they creep in so subtly because we are inundated with it 24-7. And the biggest culprit today is entertainment. Entertainment used to, art used to reflect life. Now life is reflecting art. And we're witnessing a transformation in our midst that is unhealthy and distinctly unbiblical. Recognizing it is the first step. Standing against it is the second step. But even greater than that is to stand against it with humility. Because there are issues that are going on in people's lives that we will never fully comprehend this side of eternity. And we need to be people of grace and mercy and forgiveness. And I'll come back to that because that's where this all ends. When I graduated from college, I told my mother that, uh, she says, what are you going to do now? You're going to go out and get a job? Get a college degree. I was the first one in my family to get a college degree. Okay, good for you. Now go get a job. No, 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 I'm going to go on. I'm going to go on and, and get a master's. And she says, when are you going to get enough of school? 
when I, by the time I finished my master's, my mom had a complete turnaround. And, and, and here's how I think it went down. She's having a conversation with the women in the office. And, uh, and, and somebody says, so, so you have kids? Yes, I have kids. And, uh, and, and so she goes through and she's talking about her three kids. And she comes to me. You know, I'm the youngest. Of course, I'm the favorite. Uh, <laughs> and she says, yeah, my youngest is, uh, has, has just finished uh, uh, college. And, and now he's going on uh, for a master's. The, the only thing that I can figure that happened is that the woman she was talking to was so impressed. You have a son who's getting a master's? And the reaction of that woman told my mother that, that she ought to be proud of her son for going on and getting a master's. There was a shift that occurred in her thinking because of the response of somebody else with regard to the value of education. I, I, I love the story about Randy Posh. Any of you remember Randy Posh? He wrote the last lecture. He actually gave the last lecture before he wrote it. He was a professor at Carnegie Mellon, and uh, he, he died of pan pancreatic, pancreatic cancer. And uh, they, had a, they have a tradition there that when you retire, you get to give one last le lecture. And, and so he went to the administration. And he says, well, I'm getting ready to retire. Uh, maybe not the way you traditionally think, but I would love to be able to give the last lecture. And, and they said, yeah, go ahead and do it. It's a, brilliant, it's a brilliant lecture. If you've never heard it, you can YouTube it. You can buy the book and read it. So, but he, he loves telling the story about his mother. He said, this is a guy who holds a PhD and is a well-respected professor at Carnegie Mellon. And so his mom introduces him to her friends. This is my son, the doctor but not the kind that helps people. <laughs> you know, that kind of laughter betrays us because we see it. We see the, the, the inherent prejudice and favoritism that, that we extend to people because they've got the perseverance to stick their nose in a book and, and pursue it to the end to get some, get some degree. And, and, and somehow those people have higher worth. They don't. They're still people. And we do it in education. We do it in dress. We, 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 we judge people by the clothes that they wear. I tell people I'm a kept man. My wife picks out my suits and my ties and I wear them. Nobody ever commented about what I wore before I met Jody, at least not to my face, because I was convinced if I could walk outside and not get arrested, I was dressed perfectly fine. I had no idea that people were judging me by the clothes that I wore. I was a single guy in Hawaii. And I had trouble getting a date. And a friend of mine said, David, that thing you're driving, what's wrong with my car? It was a 1967 four-door flat black Ford Falcon Futura. <laughs> he says, no woman is going to go out with you driving that car. And I remember thinking to myself, if, if that's their criteria, I don't want to go out with them. We judge people by the clothes that they wear. We judge people by the cars that they drive. We judge people by where they live. We live in Coronado. Oh, where in Coronado do you live? Ah. Oh, I live in the village. Ah, you live in the village. Oh, no, I live in the shores. Oh, you live in the shores. 
Oh, I, I, live in the, I live in the caves. Oh, you live in the pig farm. <laughs> okay. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, or or I, 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 live, I live in strand housing for the military. Oh. Subtle signs of favoritism. And I know I'm hitting home with some of you folk. Because some of you folk are here, you don't live in Coronado. Some of you folk are here, and you don't live uh, in the village. Some of you folk live in, in, the, in the shores or, or in the caves or whatnot. And, there's this, and it just cracks me up that we have created this favoritism uh, uh, section uh, in, in, strat- uh, in life. And even in the village. Where in the village do you live? Which side of Orange Avenue do you live? That laughter, folks, betrays truth. When I first got here, when I first got here, it, it, was, it, it, was, it went so far as to be, you could be defined by your phone number. You know it to be true? When you ask somebody what their phone number was, when I first got here uh, 28 years ago, you asked somebody, hey, what's your phone number? If they gave you more than four digits, you knew they didn't belong. <laughs> And for those of you that don't know, the, uh, when, w- back then, 28, 30 years ago, every phone number in Coronado started with the same first three digits, 435, 435. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that goes back even, far, even further. So, so if you had to give somebody more than four digits, I'm sorry. You're new here, aren't you? Subtle forms of... of Subtle forms of favoritism that invade our lives and our community, and we laugh about it because we know it's true. We judge people by their phone numbers. James says, God forbid. Don't you recognize that every single person that you encounter is created in the image of God and has value and has worth? We can't ever, ever lose sight of that. It, 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 uh, it hurts me when, when I hear people uh, uh, characterize, characterize uh, our, our worshiping communities. Now, interestingly enough, uh, uh, you can break data down in, in every way until Fridays. Uh, uh, Presbyterians... Uh, just in the last 10 years, eclipsed the uh, Episcopalians in wealth. I don't know how they figured this stuff out, but somebody said it. It's statistics, and statistics never lie, right? Yeah. Uh, Presbyterians tend to be higher educated. We value education. That's, part, that's, a, that's a part of who we are. We've, we, and so we, we kind of flock together. But it, it, it hurts me when people say, oh, Grand Memorial, that's, the, that's the, the, the rich white church in Coronado. And somebody said to me, you know what? Your congregation ought to look a lot like the people that you see in the grocery store. You're the people I see in the grocery store. We, we do have diversity here. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's not a lot, but we do have diversity here, and we work toward that, and we celebrate that. I, 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 I'm grateful that my, my fellow pastor here is a full-blooded Egyptian, and, and, that's a, and, that, we, and that he and his wife uh, is a, a biracial marriage. 
And we have several biracial marriages here in, in Grand Memorial. And I celebrate that. I'm grateful that we've got people from Peru. We've got people from Honduras. We've got uh, 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 people from, uh, uh, from Cuba and Puerto Rico and, and, and New York. And uh, um, I mean, we've got some diversity here. Maybe not as much as we would like, but we're moving in that direction. You know why? Because we believe in the inherent dignity of every single individual. We have people here that uh, are on that are living in multi-million dollar houses, and we've got people that live that are worshiping with us that are in Section Eight housing. And I'm grateful for that because when people come here, I want them to do two things: I want them to know that they are safe, and I want them to know that they are loved for who they are, created in the image of God. Because in Christ, we have dignity, worth, and value. And we need, desperately need, to get back to that people. We need to get back to them. And that's what James is saying here. He says, you really keep the royal law found in Scripture. Love your neighbor as yourself, and you are doing right. How do we love our neighbors as ourselves? What does it mean to love? To love, our working definition of love is to will the good of another. Love is about service and sacrifice. Jesus says, as I loved you, you should love one another. That's service and sacrifice. It's outwardly focused, not inwardly focused. And what happened in the church in James' day is that faith had become and was becoming inwardly focused, reflective of the culture around them. And if you don't think that we live in a culture that is totally uh, uh, self-centered and self-indulgent, I don't know what rock you're sleeping under. But we can't allow it to break into God's church. We cannot. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Just stop and think about that for a minute. To be judged by the true and living God is a frightful thing. And were it not... For the grace that we have in Christ Jesus, we would be toast. Literally. And that is given to us. It is grace. It is mercy. Fundamental to that is forgiveness. And we are living in a time in which forgiveness is becoming more and more scarce. In this whole conversation about critical race theory, there is no room for forgiveness. And, and gosh, I wish I had more time because uh, I'm, I'm running out of time here. And uh, just give me a couple of minutes here. Gee, intellectuals, uh, 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 atheist intellectuals are starting to take a step back as they're watching the church crumble because that was what they wanted. So you would think that there would be, you know, uh, uh, rounds of cheers. Yay. We're finally getting what, what we wanted. But more and more intellectuals are kind of a step, taking a step back and they're thinking, hmm, maybe, maybe, maybe that's not what we want. Because they're recognizing, and this is an article, and I'll, and I'll, I'll, uh, uh, I'll reference this article in my Word on Wednesday, which is a recap that I send out every Wednesday morning email. If you don't get that, shoot me an email. I'll make sure that you're getting it if you want it. Uh, uh, they're recognizing that Christian values it, are the soul of Western civilization. It's the soul of our civilization. And, and believe it or not, it, it's the Christian values that have really led us to where we are today. 
but they but the, it, it is the it is it is the outgrowth it is an illogical outgrowth because people of faith have took a step back and say i don't want to take a stand because i don't want to hurt anybody's feelings i just want to love people and i want them to love me and i want to get a lot of likes on facebook or or instagram if you have a million followers plus uh, uh, but there's just a, a couple of things i wanted to read for the most part so this is an uh, this is quoting uh, Neil Ferguson, who is a, a, a noted uh, historian atheist. I know I can't achieve religious faith, but I do think we should go to church. Uh, uh, we don't have, I think, an evolved ethical system. We don't buy the idea that evolution alone gets us to be moral. It can modify b- behavior, but there's just too much evidence in the raw Uh, that when the constraints of civilization fall away, we behave in the most savage ways to one another. For one of the most prominent historians in the world, himself an agnostic, to say that we should go to church is rather startling. But Ferguson's sentiments also appear to be a part of a growing trend. The late philosopher Roger uh, Scruton uh, began attending church himself despite struggling with belief, regularly playing the organ at his church. His secular friends... uh, Uh, say his faith remained cultural. Others were not so sure. But what we do know is that he thought Christianity was in many, many ways the soul of Western civilization and that uniquely Christian concept of forgiveness was utterly indispensable for its survival. Forgiveness, folks. Forgiveness, mercy, and grace. Several of Christian, uh, the, the survival of Christianity is essential for survival of the West. The bad news is that this realization comes when the day is far spent. The good news is simpler. Christendom has had a series of revolutions, and each, in each one of them, Christianity has died, says G.K. Chesterton. Christianity has died many times and risen again for It had a God who knew the way out of the grave. Christianity will never be counted out. The gospel will never be counted out. Our our culture may rise and fall, but the church will always survive. The question for us is what kind of a church are we in right now? Are we in a church that recognizes the inherent value and worth in every single person? Regardless of what they say, believe, or how they dress, or anything. Yeah, we can have questions. We can have conversation with respect and dignity. But at the core, we need to stand firm in the gospel truth that Jesus Christ is our hope. He alone transforms through the forgiveness and mercy that has been given to us that we might live within this perfect law of freedom and thrive. Oh, we make mistakes. Let us own them. But let us not celebrate them. But let us move forward with respect and dignity as we seek to live out the gospel day by day, regardless of how many Instagram followers we have. Thank you for listening to Island Recast. For more information, please go to gmpc.org. with ourselves when we see favoritism in any shape, way, or form enter into our lives that we might remember that every human being has essential dignity and worth.
to our Creator and to us.